You are listening to Corellian Run Radio, your route through hyperspace to the latest news on Star Wars The Old Republic. This episode is brought to you by the new community Q&A thread, BioWare's sweetly optimistic attempt to bring thoughtful, flame-free discourse in a no-whining zone, otherwise known as the official Star Wars The Old Republic forums. Bravo, Bioware. Bravo. Hi, and welcome to Corellian Run Radio. I'm Carla. And I'm Kathy. This is episode 11, and we are recording Tuesday morning, November 30th. This week we have Roxanne, our Corellian Run Radio graphic artist, back with us. Welcome, Roxanne. Great to have you with us again. Hi, guys. It's great to be back. Okay, Kathy, how was your week? This big old Thanksgiving week. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've recorded oh, it's been, been yeah it's been longer we actually took an extra week because of the thanksgiving madness and i wasn't able to <laughs> like get to the podcasting chair um it's been great i we had a nice family thanksgiving um and uh, i wanted to mention the my experience of the week before i went to my very first gun show which was kind of awesome actually even though guns scare me but uh what was great is that because i've recently been playing a lot of left for dead um i keep seeing guns that i recognize from the game for killing zombies and we would be going through and then on the table there'd be you know an ak-47 and next to it a golf club and I'm thinking why do they have a golf club here and I was like oh look that's what I use to kill whatchamacallits or this is that kind of there's there's a machete and a samurai sword it's just like killing zombies and then we were about an hour and a half in and there was actually a vendor there that was called zombiedefense.com which just made me laugh I thought oh please if there's going to be a zombie apocalypse can it happen right now while we're in this room with all these guns and ammo so yeah it was it was really interesting and and a fun time and Roxanne what about you um well a couple of weeks ago I went to a gaming conference in Montreal called uh Unite 2010, and um, it showcases this 3D engine called Unity, which is really, really neat, and it's kind of streamlined so that you can make, you know, AAA content using small development teams, so I got to hang out with a lot of, uh, you know, rising indie developers, and it was really, really cool. Everyone there seemed, you know, ridiculously like smart and they all spoke like two languages and I was just like oh my gosh (laughs) like it's really cool to be in this environment but I felt you know kind of (laughs) like I don't know uh like outmatched and not as clever and creative as all these guys but it was fun yeah that's what you would love to do that's your dream job one day isn't it developing games yeah i mean well my dream job is to work for one of the the big studios like bioware blizzard or something like that but it was funny because all these guys are people who you know had been they started out in that environment and then realized they were like way too smart to like stay there and then had broken off and like formed their own like companies and were working on like smaller projects so it was a little different but it was really cool just to see that side of the industry that's, that's really interesting yeah. because uh, you do like that sort of thing and you do, you know, that's something that you desire to do as your career. So yep. I think that's really kind of cool. Well, I 
feel like I didn't really do anything. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. No gun I mean, shows, it's been, no game conferences. Yeah, I, I just uh, cleaned a lot of house and got the Thanksgiving stuff ready and kids came home and I mean the whole shebang and I feel like, you know, the two or three weeks that we've been gone, it's just been blur. Yeah, it's just been mm-hmm. a blur. Yep. I've been so busy getting everything done, so. <laughs> yep, I know what that means. <laughs> so, all right. Well, if that's the end of our weeks, then I think it's time for our host challenge. Fact. You know it to be true. Or fiction. That's impossible. All right. I'm going to read three bits of information or three leads about the game. Two of them will be made up or not yet confirmed, and only one will be a fact confirmed by BioWare. Your job is to pick out which one is true. Okie dokie. Here are your three leads. You guys are working together, right? Okay, listen carefully. Lead number one. Once a crafting task has been assigned to a crew member, that crew member will be unavailable until the task is completed and cannot be called away from the ship. Lead number two. In a throwback to the old days of WoW's Alteric Valley, lead PvP designer Gabe Amatigello predicts that some war zones in Tor will feature battles that could last hours, even days. <laughs> lead number three. A unique force-resistant hide and massive spikes and claws help the Terran Tatek earn its nickname, Jedi Killer. So, after mm. hearing all three leads, which one is the confirmed fact? Well, I hope and pray number two is false. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, don't you have fond memories? <laughs> I do not have fond memories of hours and days in the same battleground like Alterac Valley. By the so. time I played AV, like you could do it in 20 minutes, but it also meant that I never ever knew what was going on because <laughs> it was just a mad rush of like, you know, 50 people to like run from one end of the zone to the other. And by the time you got there, the fight was over and you're like, did we win? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Now it's some Zerg fest. (laughs) But anyway, number two is false. Now, number one, would you repeat that question, please? Yes, this is the once a crafting task has been assigned to a crew member, that crew member will be unavailable until the task is completed and cannot be called away from the ship. I would assume that you could cancel a task once you started it. I don't know if you would want to, because depending on how much time you had invested into their timer, but... It seems weird that you would just be able to lock out crew members and be like, oh, well, now I can't use anybody. Mm-hmm. And then three was the um, the Tarrant Tech, how do you pronounce it, who has the force-resistant hide and massive spikes and claws and is called Jedi Killer. And I would say that is the true and correct fact. I ding, agree. Ding, ding. Yes, you guys are absolutely correct. <laughs> um, I made up that middle one <laughs> about the hours and days of war zones. Um, and the first one, we know actually because Damien Schubert in a dev tracker recently talked about how you will be able to interrupt a crew member who is working on a, on a 
a task, a crafting task. However, you will lose all your progress. Um, so, you know, yeah, you're right. It's like if you're 16 hours into a 23-hour thing, will you really want to stop? <laughs> but you that, will be able to. That's unfortunate. What does that mean, that they're, like, making shoes, and then when they leave, the shoes catch on fire? <laughs> they can't, you can't, like, <laughs> go back and finish yes. the shoes? <laughs> just like real life. They just, like, blow up, sir. <laughs> However, if I take my hand off the screwdriver, the engine's going to explode. So (laughs) do you really want me to come over here? (laughs) Right. So anyway, that is what's going to happen. However, you will not lose your mats. They said that you'll be able to start the thing again. Well, that's that's good that you don't lose your mats. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So you guys are funny. All right. Well, excellent. Once again, I think we're on a streak. No one has ever failed this fact or fiction test (laughs) um it's not rigged (laughs) the questions are just apparently too easy or we're too well informed so you pick all right (laughs) up next developer updates and breaking news from the newsnet and And beyond Okay, that begins uh, the newest, most recent updates. We're going to do those first. And the last Friday's update on November the 26th was new inhabitants. We've got the Vine Cats, and I'm going to butcher this name, the Tarantotics, <laughs> and the S3-F5 Inclement Condition Probe, and the M3-M1 Medical dro- a Droid, and... Uh, some additional information on the Sith Pureblood. The I thought the droids were the coolest part of the whole update. I like the Vine Cats and the Tarantotics, but I'm a, a big droid fan. I, I think we're going to use those a lot. Mm-hmm. So I really got a lot out of that. What you guys think? Well, I was excited because I had ju- I just finished rewatching Empire Strikes Back, and that S3 F5 Inclement Condition Probe is clearly like a ripoff of the droid you see at the beginning uh, of the movie, you know, in the hoth, the, the snowy, icy environment. I was like, oh, <laughs> just like in the movie. So I'm glad. I probably would not have recognized it because <laughs> I saw the original one so long ago. But, but uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was cool. Oh, I also like, didn't it say something about how, I guess their, their artificial intelligence isn't so good. So occasionally they, they might like kill things that they're not supposed to kill including friendly units i think it said <laughs> <laughs> so that that amused me that's kind of scary <laughs> yes <laughs> so i'm assuming that would be on the sith the sith the empire side that droid whereas the medical droid i guess anybody could use it or i don't remember no either <laughs> oh well so anyway yep those are the things oh and the sith purebloods i don't i don't think it really told us anything we didn't already know did it not that i saw yeah just the emphasis on how purebloods is a misnomer they're not really pureblood they just like to call themselves pureblood right (laughs) so all right well that was exciting they were cool little creatures and, and and just a nice little holiday update um the week before we had what they did 
the usual Fan Friday stuff. So you had the art and the avatars and the wallpaper and fiction. I don't. I since I've been watching watching these updates, I haven't seen fiction before, so that was interesting. Um, and the they had those 3D lightsabers, which were the, uh, that someone had been creating. I think a lot of and it was really popular for a while when he was accepting requests. It sounded like to yeah. design lightsabers. I think, uh, <laughs> what's his name? It's Woven something. I can't I <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, the links are in in the updates on the official forum. We'll also have it on our show notes. Um, and then they also had a closer look at one of those step by step constructions of, of of a creature from the concept artist Diego Almazan, and he showed us and talked a little bit about the Flush Raider, which is a kind of a an interesting little creature with fur and armor. <laughs> um, so yes, if you are if you like that kind of thing, it, it's it's very interesting. I do I do like hearing the the thought process behind cre- the creation of these creatures and the, the ships and blah blah blah. I think so, like uh, the most interesting thing to me with the flesh rares was I always think it's kind of neat to hear about the communication within the team. Because, um, mm. you know, when he's just talking about, like, oh, yeah, I made this, and I sent out the concept to the modelers, and then they, like, pick this one and come back. Because I always wonder, like, how integrated with everyone else that that team is. Because um, it could be just that, you know, the modeler creates a crazy 3D model and, like, throws it off to the programmer, the level designer. It's like, oh, good luck, make this work. But I <laughs> I bet that's not how it works. I, I would be willing to bet that you actually have to know a lot about, like, other people's roles to make sure that, like, you know, your geometry count is within range and things will work within the settings of, like, everyone else. So it'd be, I would, I love hearing about that type of stuff and hearing how everyone works together because it's not as compartmentalized as I bet we all think it is. Yeah, well, I think the, um, maybe, was it Damien Schubert in one of his interviews when he was talking about how collaborative his processes, you yeah, know, with the you know their team with the writing he was doing. Even things like with design, like you'll mm-hmm. have like programmers or level designers like making decisions on like, well, what's the silhouette of this character going to look like? How identifiable is it going to be on like the field? Because you need characters and creatures to be, have like good silhouettes so you can like see them from far off and you can identify them from other things. And that's like a that's a design choice, and you'd think it'd be up to one person, but it actually like really subtly affects other you know, game elements. So everyone like has to be involved. Yeah. I definitely get the feeling that they, like all those Bioware developers work, work together. I mean, they really, it isn't just like they're sitting in a cubicles, but they're actually, you know, having conversations and meetings and, or at least I'd like to think so. Yes. It's it's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that they would. I mean, seriously, I think that they would. I mean, because from just from what we're hearing behind the scenes, of course we haven't peaked, but it's a small working unit, mm-hmm. and they've got cross jobs, you know, mm-hmm. from designing Jedi characters to design, uh, d- designing the Sith um, equal partner, you know, or the yeah, other side. You yeah. know, they're doing the same thing, so I think that they would work very well together. Which is great, because if everyone's integrated, then you know that at least um, everything is kind of being built towards the same narrative. So, you know, from your models to your color palette to, like, what the character is going to say, everyone has a hand in it, so everyone is kind of telling the same story. So, And that just makes the game, you know, a stronger experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of, of telling the same story, that's the one thing that I've liked is 
most of the time, not all the time, but mm -hmm. most of the time is the consistency of the information yeah. because everybody does seem to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. Okay, well, that leads us up to the Q&A, the community Q&A. Daniel Erickson answered five questions that were kind of totally unrelated, but he <laughs> um, rounded it up and, and, and answered five different questions. One of them was, what happens when a group member leaves during a quest or even in the middle of the dialogue and disconnects? Will any AI take over? And his answer to that was definitely no. The quest or the conversation will continue without them, but you can, hit, like with most games, if you want to get out of a cinematic or whatever, hit escape. Mm -hmm. You know, get out of it. The next one was when the getting a group quest can a bound can you get four bounty hunters or do you have to have a specific class requirement to start the quest? And how will we know which quest we need? He says it can be a group mixed up with anything. So whether that be you know, four bounty hunters or whether they meet somebody from each different class, it doesn't really matter. So. I liked I liked how he said one of the popular makeups right now is all troopers, troopers and yeah. how four <laughs> troopers coming up over a hill looks pretty awesome. I can bet. It kind of looked kind of scary to me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and my favorite is can you turn your helm on and off? Yes. And the answer is yes. I love that. Hooray. I hope that you can turn the cape and the shoulder pads and different things off because I hate shoulder pads, capes, and helms. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think they also said that it would, it would. oh, you could have it, you know, because some some helms will modulate your voice. Yeah. So you could have a setting where you where you would have that on when they were when your character was talking in the cutscene. So so it seems like they're trying to give the greatest amount of flexibility there. And that would be really cool. The the part that I liked the best was that way they can override it occasionally to keep you from wearing your helmet during a romantic kitchen scene. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that they think of that. But yes, that would be a little awkward I guess. Helm to helm kisses. Yummy <laughs> his helm to face kisses oh <laughs> gosh goodness okay the next one was will advanced classes be locked into a particular role for example will a juggernaut be locked to an uh, only a tank or can he fulfill other roles as well and he answered that by saying each class advanced class is full and flexible and with the various trees that allow them specialization so although the juggernaut is perhaps best suited to play a tank Role, that doesn't mean he can't do other things. So, anyway, the next one is: Are the origin planets simply starting grounds, or will we be coming back to them past level ten? And he said, "Yes, definitely. There are going to be reasons to come back." Yep, I like that. Me too. I like that a lot. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to be able to return to planets. One because. Um, you know, in like if the if you're trying to promote the idea of having this like real and like living and breathing universe, then you want to get rid of the idea that there are like levels or zones that you I've done everything I possibly can and now it's dead. I beat this level now I'm going on, and it makes sense that you would you know return to places as like you know your situation or the context changes. Also, it's great for players because that means that they can invest you know, more time and money into building the assets of, like, core planets that you revisit. Because um, 
if you think about like the relationship you have with like Stormwind or Ironforge, it's probably a lot different than you know random zone number thirteen. If you you want to be given the time as a player to grow a relationship with uh, an environment. Well, yeah, because like in WoW, I mean, once you went to Goldshire and left it, there really yep. wasn't a reason to go back, un- unless you were doing like a holiday quest and you yeah. had to go talk to the innkeeper. <laughs> I was just thinking of uh, Mass Effect and where you have places like the Citadel and Omega or the Normandy is actually a great example where um, every time you go there, all the the characters and your quests update, and so it's different every time you're, you're there because you've changed and the world has changed and how those places are so much more enjoyable than the the like 200 random planets that you can just explore like in the first game you're like oh it's another planet and i mean i guess the idea of having 200 explorable planets should make me excited but mostly it's just kind of like a chore and i would rather be in this place where so much like time has been put into the art and it means something to me and my characters well when you say it's changed in mass effect how like can you give an example well um yeah it's like <clears throat> You know, you'll go off and do a quest, and, and you come back, and then one of your crew members has, like, they've received a transmission from home telling them that they need to be right back because their mom's sick or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, everyone is generally hangs out in their same, like, areas of the ship. Like, Tali's always in engineering, and Miranda's always in her office. But depending on what has changed outside the ship, like, they'll, they'll call you to their quarters or, you know, oh, okay. things will change. That's cool. Yep. Um... All right. Is that it for the community Q&A? That's it. All right. Well, and that was the, I think that was actually almost the most interesting thing about the, probably the last two weeks of updates, which have been kind of light, and I am perfectly okay with that because they gave us such wonderful other things. (laughs) Um, Oh, wait, I forgot to talk about the polls. That's right. Fan Friday always has polls, which uh, on the 19th, the first one was, what is your Star Wars weapon of choice? And I don't even know what that means, but not surprisingly, the lightsabers were blowing everyone else away. So I'm not sure what that tells us exactly. I'm su- were you supposed to pick like depend like I like lightsabers too, but I think I'm going to play a smuggler. So was I supposed to choose the other thing? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird because they had lightsabers and then they had like three assault weapons. Like they didn't include a ranged something like you know a sniper rifle. They didn't have like vibro blades. Uh, they didn't have. I thought they should have had just the force as an option. So, Carla, did you get a chance to vote in that poll? What what weapon did you choose? Yes. Well, the, the choices, we, didn't, we really need to, to go over the choices. The choices were lightsaber, a double-bladed lightsaber, <laughs> blaster rifle, dual pistols, heavy blaster cannon, flamethrower, and then other. And then when you declare other, then you had to specify which one it was. Well, even though I'll never probably get to use them unless I decide to roll a smuggler, I love dual pistols. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what I chose. I can't even remember what I voted on. <laughs> but I think I was trying to interpret the poll as being like a an indication of what class you're going to play. Just to make some sense out of why they would ask this question in the first place. <laughs> but anyway, I think like, my plan... We are going to delete the least like voted <laughs> weapon from the game forever. So choose yes. well. <laughs> well, that happens to be the flamethrower right about now. And I think the flamethrowers are totally awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I really like all the weapons. <laughs> I mean, I think they're all class appropriate. And I think that they all have their little place in the... 
the universe. Right, right. <laughs> so, all right, well, that was that poll. And then the other poll, which I also found less than useful, had to do with the crew skills system. Um, and you were supposed to say what excited you most about the crew skills system. Um, I The one that was winning, has been winning, is everything <laughs> so again not very useful you know and i don't have the poll in front of me do you have it in front of you carla um i think with the I've other on one of these open windows yes <laughs> that's because every standardized test taker knows that the answer is always all of the above <laughs> yes exactly or exactly. none of the above no. which actually was not an option and in a good poll you would have had the option so I... you don't like anything about the cruise crew. <laughs> exactly well i was one of those that i went with what everybody else did and that was mm -hmm. everything but it, i mean i don't have the poll in front of me but it was all very good things right i mean it was like you know the do you want to do you like about what they're crap you know them standing in front of the machine and crafting and you know it was like a five right things. right and really it would they all were applicable so i thought all of these <laughs> that sounds good to me okay well we will have a uh link in our show notes if any of our listeners has not yet had an opportunity to vote um okay i think that wraps up the yep. friday all the friday updates well, for except those... for Friday, that leads us into Friday update on the November 12th, right. which was the crew skill systems and the new page on the crew, uh, on the Holonet. And the, just to go over a few of the things that it discussed was like uh, your crew skills will be done at your starship at your home base there. So I kind of like that, knowing that when I come home after a long day's battle, <laughs> my little crafting companions will have been busy as a bee in our little starship getting everything ready. I know. So I kind of I'm like kind that. Of, I'm think? kind of excited. Does this mean that you won't be doing the bank, run to the bank, run to the anvil, run to the auction house, run to the bank, run back to the anvil, run? <laughs> because that was always the worst about working on crafting. But getting to that, point you 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 hit on two different things yes there still has to be like an amble because that's what they're having to sit in front of that the crafting table crafting yeah. machine or table yeah. or whatever so there's your anvil and it clearly talks i mean we'll get to this a little bit later yeah. on that there is an auction house system and you've got to have some place to store your stuff so that the only thing i'm not quite clear on because i haven't played the game and i haven't read it anywhere is the banking system are we going to store stuff on our ship or are we going to have to go to a, an external i don't know location? but if they get rid you of the store stuff in your ship like a cargo hold that makes sense exactly know? i agree yeah exactly but if they get rid of that physical running from point a to point b i will be so happy <laughs> because it's like oh it takes so long <laughs> I'm wasting a full 20 seconds of my life just running from the anvil back to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's pissing me off. Well, hopefully you can send your companions to yeah. that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, yeah, so that that was cool because i mean the the up the, the update on the crafting skill because they put that stuff on the holonet and if you looked at the different you know you had the gathering and the crafting and the missions those are like the three major arms of the system if you looked on um like the little screenshots you could see like for instance in the gathering they talk about 
bioanalysis, which is what harvesting stuff off of plants and creatures. Then you have scavenging, which is more like getting, you know, parts off of a of a off of a broken down ship or something. And then the slicing, um, which is what going hacking into computers and getting stuff out of there. Uh, but then there was like a blank box. So there's actually still something that we don't know about the exactly. gathering. And I think there were two th- or there were three things in the crafting side. So we know there's going to be the armor mech for armor, blah, blah, blah. Artifice, which is, oh, I don't even actually understand what this is. Constructing Jedi and Sith artifacts. That sounds interesting. Um, and then the biochem, chem, which is the more the performance-enhancing serums and implants that you can make. And then like there were three. Yeah, yeah. And then there were three unknown slots in the crafting. And then there were two unknown in the mission. So I'm really curious. We know about the diplomacy and the treasure hunting in, in the mission arm of crafting. So uh, obviously there's a lot we don't know about crafting that they still need to reveal. Well, you know what's gotten me excited is... The fact that now I have a mission in the game, besides just playing the game, I love the fact that we can craft things that are superior in the game, and you can actually have people uh, on your, you know, in the game that come to you because you have specialized in mm. one certain thing. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that. And I think that's the gist of a lot. There were, in addition to the, the official updates, there were several interviews, uh, one by Darth Hader, one by Toro cast. Um, uh, and then other things were, were, yeah, they talk about specialization is going to be a key feature of crafting. And I'm, I think that's very, very cool. <laughs> um, and in fact is he talking let's see if we talk if we jump ahead to the yeah let's move on to the daniel erickson interview with darth Hader. um he that was one of the two points that that really you know stuck out to me there's so many things in that interview which you should go and read if you get a chance um the one was the fact that you get the maker's mark on your items isn't that neat (laughs) um i think that's very and then he talked about exclusivity and he said there's two ways to approach exclusivity you know people being able to be you know the one guy that can do this you can you can make it where it's just this horrible horrible grind where you have to do thousands of hours of busy work just to achieve that upper that top level um or we're or we're going to do it through variety and he says um we just have lots of different things but maybe you just because you can only choose one type of crafting um that you won't be able to make uh, everything, but you'll be able to specialize in this one thing, and so everyone will have different specialties, I guess, for the people who are really, really into it. And I and I loved his quote, and he said, you know, well, let's we, we don't we don't want to do the thing where the exclusivity is achieved through grind. And his quote was, well, let's you know, we're well, let's just make sure the only people who get to do it are people who hate fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And he said that's not the way we want to design the game. And I thought, you know, Daniel Eric and can always come up with a good quote. <laughs> well, I just, you know, in reading the, the articles, it gave us more of an insight on what it's like to be a crafting person. Um, I've always enjoyed crafting. I've hated going around and gathering up all of these materials and, you know, sitting there and making this thing over. I mean, you're stuck in town making the same thing because you have to be near the anvil or Mm -hmm. near the cook stove or whatever 
you know, I love the fact, and I'm really getting into this whole companion, letting them do it. I mean, the more I've thought about it, the more epic it sounds. <laughs> epic and crafting. You can, yeah, and it's, it sounds to me like they're making crafting what it should be, and that is... Delegated to yes. slaves, apparently. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're in control because you're telling them what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Yeah. In other words, you're telling them, I want you to go get this bioanalysis um, on harvesting these plants or whatever because we needed to do this component. You know, you're telling them what to do and then get back and say, okay, now I want this made, this made, this made, and this made. You know, so it's you're still in control. I've, I've heard, you know, listened to other podcasts and, and done some, some reading on the forums and stuff. People are whining that they're not actually doing it. But, you know, if you guys just sit back and think about it for a minute, does, is the actual pounding of the hammer yourself really what you enjoyed? Or was it the fact that you have this superior item crafted because you invested the time to train your companions to do it well? You know, so what difference does it make that you're not actually holding that hammer <laughs> and pounding that steel? It's still your analytical mind that wrapped around, okay, I want to specialize yeah. in this, and so I'm going to be doing this with this computer. I think those people who were worried that, um, that BioWare just, like, blew the whole crafting system open to make it, like, way too accessible and, like, easy and i think that the way they have it is that if you if you still want to like sink a million hours and time like into doing it like you're gonna get that opportunity <laughs> yeah right i i just want to say that i um i like i love this idea that they've tied it to the npc characters and that you're, you know your companions are helping you in the crafting and this is actually an improvement to how npcs have been treated in mass effect which i never ever ever thought that tor was gonna be able to do something like handling uh you know your companion characters better than they did in you know games like kotor and mass effect because I, I love them so much but making them making those guys like even more functional is great because that will actually like help you buy into you know the story oh and i think daniel erickson said that the way most people play is that because you can only have one companion character run around with you and people generally just choose you know their favorite which is absolutely true because in mass effect like two there's what like 11 characters you can only run around with two and you know you just choose the guys you like which means that you have nine people just hanging out on the ship doing nothing but with this, you know, you're putting them to work and you're actually going to, you know, you don't just kind of like brush them aside and be like, well, I don't really care about you guys. It's like great that you're able to utilize them even when they're not out on missions. It's like, I don't know. It's just a really, really good idea. I was pretty excited when I read this update. But you know what they said is there can only be five companions at the table at the mm -hmm. same time. But that doesn't say... That you can't, let's say you have 15 companions and you've got one with you, so that leaves 14. Five are at the table working, but what about the other ones? They can be doing the missions. They can be doing the gathering. Yep. It doesn't say that they can't be off doing things. Yep. It just says that there can only be five actually crafting something at the table at the same time. Right. Yep. That is true. Um, I also, from that interview, I, he talked about affection rating, which I thought was interesting and in how you're so depending on your relationship with your companion um 
that will you you will get better rewards maybe is that what it yeah, is or I mean, they'll build the yeah. I bet it's something similar to in Kotor they had influence and um they actually have it in Dragon Age too where if you ba- mostly based on um like branching dialogue trees and doing quests for that like character it'll be like you have gained influence with Korea and then if you you it's just like another experience bar and if you get up to a point then you'll unlock abilities like, I think in KOTOR mm. 2, a bunch or maybe all of your friends were potentially Force-sensitive. But you, they didn't get those abilities unless you decide to, like, train them. And you couldn't do that unless you gained lots and lots of influence with them. Right. Right. Yeah. And then and then he also, he also talked about uh, the there's a variability on the rewards. And I, I guess that would be, yeah, maybe like, well, and maybe in the gathering, simple as, as, as gathering mats or, or accomplishing a mission. Um, and there's that chance to crit on a reward so that you could, you, you might could get something incredibly amazing. That's a quote. <laughs> um, so yes, I like the fact that you have that, that you have the sort of a, like winning a lottery kind of thing. <laughs> You're not exactly sure what's going to happen. And, uh, and it just kind of adds that, that, that random element of fun where you could just be totally blown away by something that happens in crafting, <laughs> which is cool. Oh, I have one last thing to uh-huh. say about the crew skills. When I um, when I saw this update, and I heard, and I saw the people working at the the bench, and heard the terminology crew skills, it kind of just like I had this weird epiphany, and I was like, oh my god, why didn't Bioware use this language in the first place? Because if they had, call, I remember there was all this maybe still going on controversy about companions, and no one wants companions and stuff because they don't, they don't want a pet. They don't, they don't want, want a pet pets. Class. Cause, yeah, because they're. I mean, because companion. People think of escort quests and these kind of enfeebling hangers-on. But if you're a captain of a ship, your crew is something that makes you stronger and supports you. And if they, I just was like, why didn't we call them the crew in the first place? Yes. <laughs> why were they like your companions? Which makes me feel, think of like holding someone's hand and running through a field. <laughs> Not like, get to work, you guys. We're going to make something awesome. That's true. We're having I was a like, romantic this is the perfect. Encounter. This is the perfect thing to say, like. If only they had said it a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I know, because Carla, you were not at first very excited about the idea of having to have a companion, were you? Oh, no. I hated the thought. I'm going, like, what the heck is this? <laughs> you know, I'm going to have this attachment to me. And, and now the more I'm reading and the more I'm watching the videos and... Now that I know that I can control them and say, send them off to do this and send them off to do, to do that. You know what my first you know thought was when I thought of Companions was, what was that old game that Bioware did that where you had, you were leading six people Oh, like Baldur's Gate time. or Planescape? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. That's what <laughs> I envisioned can, Companions to be. Well, is something that, that game you is awesome. control. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, I didn't like the way the mechanics of yeah. it was to where you had to, you know, tab through this one to get to the next one mm-hmm. or, or whatever you had to do you to, kinda, to control it. You kind of have you to know, micromanage. You to the, yeah, and I didn't want to have to do mm-hmm. that. But I love everything I've read about these companions yeah. so far in the way they're being developed for this game. It's completely different. It's not, I have to tab all through the, all of these companions. Yeah. I can have a little controller of my crew skills, bring it up, and I can tell this one to go do that and this one to go do that, and it's all in one place, and I think 
that's this actually like addresses something that I've always wondered about RPGs like you know Final Fantasy where you can only have two people with you even though you've met like 11 people on the quest and I always thought one why can only three of us at one time wander around an adventure and two what the heck is everyone else doing (laughs) are they just like are they just hanging out and smoking and drinking I know right they're like reading comics and they're like oh man only two of us can save the world at any one time (laughs) So it's great that they're actually contributing to, like, you know, your economy and your crew and stuff. That's that's really great. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. Now my final question is, is there an app for that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, I, I don't know. If there is, I hope that Bioware doesn't charge us, like, $5 per month to use it. That would just make me sad. <laughs> I know. It would be, you know, and I'm not a big app fan, or I'm not a big fan of the the idea of playing the game, like, from your desk at work I, or something. I love that idea. I know. That's probably because I don't have a desk <laughs> at work. But, but, uh, but this, I have to say, if, if it turns out that you would be able to, you know, like, do full-function crafting, auction house, whatever, from away from your house that that this would probably make me want it, want it i would pay more money for it i you know i had i had really debated within myself about it you know like oh it's got to be free or you know charge everybody an extra two dollars across the board mm-hmm. and make it free and i still think that's a really good idea of course people may hate me for that <laughs> because those that don't want to use it but i still think that if they made it universally you know and spread the cost out to where everybody paid an extra dollar or two, that's not a big deal, you know? And then you have it available to use if you want to use it or don't want to use it. That's what communism is, so... Love it. I know. Why do you hate America? Very true. You did hit hit on something there. there. Oh, well, maybe we should just move on to the next interview. JK, (laughs) everybody. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Okay, well, we pretty much covered the Daniel Erickson interview at Darth Hader and uh, the Torocast interview and really basically what uh, Damien Schubert. Yeah, actually, if we, yeah, the Torocast interview, the, the, the one thing, you know, a lot of these re- interviews repeat themselves, but, but I liked the idea that where, where Daniel Erickson specifically says in the Torocast interview that you're not going to be able to just grind out all the levels in a weekend because you certainly could do that in WoW. And, you know, <laughs> this is the idea that you would just spend two full days and spend all, blow all your money, but you could level, you would, you could max out your crafting. Um, and, I, and I like that they don't want that to happen here. I like that a lot, too. I don't want somebody to walk in there after I've been playing the game for three months and I've been diligently working on one specific craft, trying to specialize in it, for someone to walk in in three hours. Right. Well, it wouldn't be three, but yes, it could be three days. It would just be like (laughs) 30 consecutive hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, and I think he also, in in the Torocast interview, uh, Daniel Erickson said that the crafted items will be very close to the top tier gear. So, so that's good that's to hear. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that that leads us to, yeah. Um, the so I was going to say the, the Damien Schubert posts about crafting. Is that what we're doing next? I 
Yes. Um, yeah, he had several. If you go to the Dev Tracker, he he was very active talking about crafting, um, and there are lots of different threads. Um, we'll throw this in the show notes. Uh, he talked he talked about the highly variable rewards that Daniel Erickson mentioned. Um, uh, oh, and the idea that companions, you know, like Vet, we know has the has the bonus to treasure hunting, which is a which is one of the skills that your crafting skills you can special or that you need. Um, but he said that right now that the bonuses are are not huge because he doesn't want there to be a situation where you're going to say, oh, I can't take Vet out because she's treasure hunting. You know, she's I should just keep her on the deck all the time hunting for treasure. Uh, so so that's good. I, he, and I guess they I think did he say that there that could change? They haven't really you know, they haven't really decided what what level of of. Um, bonuses will be so we'll see do we know can every companion learn every skill or is it like restricted in any way um i haven't read that Mm. i and i would think that they would because of the different things that they bring to the table like in treasure hunting or something like that that well, I believe that they could probably do them all. Because it would be awesome to but send I people. That they would excel. It would be awesome to send know, like you know really aggressive people on diplomacy missions, like as a joke and stuff. <laughs> it's a joke it's like, to ruin your reputation yeah. <laughs> permanently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if like people would be ineligible if they only spoke one language and like stuff like that. But I don't know. Just thinking, thinking yeah, aloud. We start getting down to uh, that because our reputation is going to dictate. Uh, we'll get down to it a little bit mm-hmm. later, I think, but it's going to dictate our our opening up new armor for and stuff like that for us. So I'm not so sure. I would want to mess with my rep. You know? <laughs> As a joke, when you hacked into your brother's account, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and the other thing I think we got from that, the important thing that came from that Torocast interview was that you can unlearn your skills. So if mm-hmm. you decide to switch from, I guess, maybe armor mech to what something else, you could zero that out and and re-level um, something else. So that that's good to know. Um, and I think, more importantly, if you have, like, s- special recipes or schematics that you have, you know, learned, you don't lose those. It's not like you, you will totally lose that. You just, it'll become inaccessible. So if you decide to go back to the original uh, specialization that you were, you will just have to level yourself up to the point where, you, where you're, you can access that schematic again, but you won't lose it. So that's good to know. Yeah, that was really good information. I mean, I was really worried that if I decided I wanted to do a specific thing and uh, I had this super-duper wonderful recipe, yeah, and and yet uh, then I come to find out I need to do something else and I need to unlearn those skills that I won't lose that super-duper cool recipe. I'll just have to work my way back up to be able to use yeah. it again. Yeah, so. So that's cool. Yep. Okay, the, only, the other thing that um, Damien Schubert kind of touched on too was – uh, the emergency recall for your crew missions. He says you can recall your companion at any time from a mission and you'll lose any progress he's made as well as any upfront cost, but he returns to you immediately. Right. That hmm. was part of our fact or fiction <laughs> question. <laughs> so, yes, that is also good to know. Um, you just have to weigh the the consequences of losing your progress. Um but, you know, I mean, people always use the example of, like, the 24-hour or the 23-hour quest that you're 22 hours into. Um, and I don't you – know, I'm hoping that 
that those kinds of crafting tasks are not the majority of them. I, I have a feeling that there will be like a broad array of, 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 you know, times so that, so that you won't always be faced with that decision. Sometimes, you know, you'll, I think there are five minute ones. So, so it doesn't always have to be like this life or death situation in terms of your pattern, your boots that might explode. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, let's see. We are, I believe to the general themes and community reaction. Um, yeah, we, so, you know, there was all this information, and I think initially, you know, this, most of this information came out over the last, probably as well as, as early as like three weeks ago when we, when we last did our podcast. But the initial reaction, the people, especially the people who were negative, kind of, um, kind of boiled down to just a few basic themes and and one of the the big themes at the beginning was you know why why are we letting the companions of all the fun which we talked about a few minutes ago um you know because there are actually some people that that like they like grinding they like going out to search for mats and that kind of thing and in the crafting video actually daniel dallas dickinson specifically goes don't worry you're going to be able to gather the mats yourself it won't be only your companion and um and then Damien Schubert, in his, his death post, one, I think he actually says, if you want, you can stand behind your crew at the workbench and watch the, the, the progress bars go. So, you know, you can be involved to that degree if you really do want to. Um, uh, so, so that was, you know, good for, for a lot of those people to hear. Um, and then also, Roxanne, what you were saying about the easy, you know, like is crafting easy mode, you know, now you just have to push a button and walk away. Um, I don't. I don't really think. I think. I think it's going to be. It's just going to be, be different. It's a different experience because you're yeah. having to manage many different things, like all at once. Right. I agree. So it isn't like you just push. I wonder. Is all that going to be like menu based, or I don't know, uh, in one centralized location, or are you going to have to like yeah. run around the ship and talk to like a bunch of different people? Oh no, that's It'd my be... Anvil Bank. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't mind because your ship. I don't know how big it is. It's not going to be the same as running around like Iron Forge. I just want it. It would be great to have to be able to check everything in like one location. I like, think there are some screenshots stuff. of like these yeah. little just menus. Yep. That make it seem simple, and you know, I feel like the. That's kind of the theme of the developers when they're creating these games. They really thought long and hard about how to reduce just like the 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 boring stuff or the tedious stuff, and how to how to streamline your experience so that it's a, that it's as as simple and you know and efficient as possible. So. I have a feeling that we're going to see. Well, we'll find more about it. But I, but I, but but I'm sure that they're going to try to, you know, make it make it as enjoyable as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think that one of the things that they're trying to do is what even Bio, uh, Blizzard is trying to do now with the expansion of Cataclysm coming, and that is make the game enjoyable for the most casual of players. And even the most casual of player can take the crew skills, assign their crew, whatever they need to have done. It's done in real time. So even while they're at work or whatever, and they've only got two or three hours to play a day or one hour to play a day, they can still enjoy a lot of the same things or as much of the same things as anyone Mm -hmm. else that plays at it at a more 
in-depth level like someone that has no life well, that plays it all the time. I think, you know, so I think that, that most gaming companies realize that they have left a market behind and that they're trying to get over to getting everybody to enjoy Yeah, it. I think this is a really dangerous thing to start talking about, and we should, I would love to talk about, like, the casual hardcore thing in depth in, like, a different show, probably. <laughs> One where we have hours and hours, but I just want to say that there is kind of this this idea that if you're a game designer, you cannot to you must cater to like a group, casual or hardcore, and it will you will be abandoning the other side if you like go and you know service the casuals or make a game specifically for the hardcore players. And that I think um, isn't really true. And good designers like don't really believe that. And um, because what it's different, um, there's a difference between dumbing something down and making it accessible. Because when you dump something down, it stays at the same level, and it will dumping well things that are really simple are accessible. But like if you think of, um, I think that WoW actually does a good job with this, where you know you can jump right into WoW having played none of it at all, and it's like you know mouse button click interactions, and it's really easy to you know figure out like right at the beginning. But there is all this complexity that it will take weeks and months to figure out. So you need, if you're a great game designer, you need to make things accessible to bring the most people in the beginning, but there has to be avenues for things to get more complex. So that's why, like, people who are like, oh, like, hardcore gamers, and, like, I hate that the casuals have destroyed my favorite game, you should not be afraid of things that are accessible because that will only be good for like everyone in the long run like we need an insular gaming community is like not a good gaming community we need like more people to be involved and you know good game design starts at a base level and then continues upward because you don't want to start really complex that's just not good design yeah and it sounds like that's what they're trying to do with crafting yeah. they're trying to say you know, if you don't want to be into it that much, you can just do this, X, Y, Z. Um, but if you really want to do it, you can do X, Y, Z plus, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then you can decide where you want to go from there. So I hope, you know, I hope that our dreams will come true and they can really accomplish all this. But it sounds like they have a really good base right now. I think they've got a good grasp yeah, on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, hard, it's hard to tell right now, like, how complex things are, are going to get. But I would, I mean, you know, I, I would bet that the, everything that we're seeing now isn't everything that, like, is going to be there forever. Right. So. I agree. Well, yeah. That kind of leads us into the Massively interview with Daniel Erickson and um, Gabe Amontangelo um, on the crafting. And the reason why I wanted to kind of bring that mm-hmm. up is because there's some really good things that came out of this article that really excited me. I've always felt that crafters kind of got the raw end of the deal um, from their own guild, the one that they're supposed to appreciate and love. (laughs) But a crafter has always, in most guild settings, been intimidated to not be able to charge for their services, even though that they may be the make the do-all, best-all, you know, whatchamacallit, in the whole galaxy and what i like about the crafting system and what they're talking about in this particular interview is that these particular crafters are now going to be sought out from all over Mm -hmm. it's not going to be stuck just in trying to to get your guild to help support your crafting or and or 
to buy things from you or to donate things. Yeah, did he, case may be. did he even use the phrase like the guild crafting pet or something? <laughs> exactly. And that's and in a lot of cases that's how I felt as a guild crafter is that I didn't mind doing it because I love helping the guild out. I mean, I think that's part of being in a guild, but I also felt like, you know, just you know, somebody tip this person. I always tip when somebody makes me something or somebody goes out of their way to do something because I just think it it's promotes you know good citizenship mm-hmm. to help out the other person you know so right anyway i thought that was really cool yeah that is and and i really you know and i and i actually i i would still probably be the guild pet i don't mind that but it'd be nice to if there were people outside the guild you know that were that were seeking you out as they for what you know for whatever you make um yeah and it does make you just make crafting more more interesting you know like not every blacksmith makes you know the end the same patterns um or whatever whatever your specialization is i think that'll be it'll be interesting then that gets into the whole discussion about the economy you know because if you're if everyone's making the same thing obviously what you make is not really valuable but um but if people have specializations then then now you have you're moving more towards an economy where crafting is important and i like that idea all right well let us move on i think that about covers crafting um oh and i it's interesting because there was so much furor actually right when it came came out like the like three weeks ago and two weeks ago um but i've been looking around on the forums recently and people are almost pretty much done talking about crafting so i I take that to mean something good <laughs> as like people in general have most of their fears have been, you know, dealt with and they're more or less happy with what's coming out so far. So that's good because, you know, like for instance, the space combat poll keeps coming up on the first page of the forums and, um, and that's been going on for a while, but, but there isn't really a whole lot of discussion about crafting uh, in these recent in the last week or so. So I think that's a good sign for, for Bioware. Um, anyway, moving on. The we we finally have a new online community manager, and that's Stefan Reed. Um, he had a lengthy introductory thread in the forums. If you go to the Dev Tracker, you can see it. Um, he has a huge history of working in gaming uh, with gaming companies, so he comes from a, a ba- the background of somebody who really knows what he's talking about. Um, there was a Massively interview, Massively.com, and um, I thought one of the que- questions that was important, interesting was they said, well, how much does the community really sway the devs? And, you know, <laughs> we talked about the the Jedi wizard thing recently. Um, and I thought he had the perfect answer. I mean, it was pretty long, but it boiled down to the short version of all this is I absolutely think community should have an influence on developers but that doesn't mean that everything you ask for is going to get done. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that was exactly the right response. And he seems to have a great mix of, you know, approachability, friendliness, humor. I mean, he was very active in right away at, in the early stages when he was just responding to everything and being jokey but informative. So I, I think that he's going to be a great a great asset to, to Bioware. I agree. Totally. Um Oh, the other thing he talked about in the Massively interview was that they, he said they have a, quote, insane amount of metrics. So all these playtesting, that they're, they're looking at all those numbers. Do you remember, I think we, 
there was the, there was an article a long time ago about how Bioware was tracking all these numbers in Mass Effect, like how yeah. many people, right? How many people play the male Shep or the femme Shep, <laughs> and yeah. what classes they play. The, uh, interesting stuff like how many people skip cutscenes and what cutscenes do they skip. It was just really interesting because it they figured out that like I think people were skipping like 15% or something really low. And it was only in like hub worlds like the Citadel. It wasn't like during loyalty missions or like story stuff, which is great because for that, if you get that information, it reinforces things like, okay, well then we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep telling story. We're going to keep putting money a lot into, you know, assets like digital acting and voiceovers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Right, right. So it's good to know that Bioware is keeping track of all that stuff for tour so they can, you know. And it's also, I think, I don't know um, how how they did it. I guess it's connected through Xbox Live when just secretly gathering my game information, yes. which is a little Big Brother-ish, but it's weird, kind of, but it's also, like, really, really reliable because it's not, like, elective, pretty much. Like, people didn't fill out a survey, and you know it's not, like, a couple crazy people on the forums, like, shouting things that not everyone feels. It's, like, you know, numbers that came from people's consoles. Right, right. Yeah, that that data is really useful, so I'm glad that they're using it. <laughs> Maybe they'll do secret data tracking in Tor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And They'd almost yeah. have to. Yeah. And It'd be easy because it's all up on a server, so it's well, not like you don't even need to have, you like, know, and, an and they should. They should do it. Yep. It's, it's like, you know, as long as it's only about the game, you know, the pl- the way the it's game is like played. It's the not Blizz like the Blizz ID thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like your real name. <laughs> My <laughs> Facebook plus. friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, yeah, that I have more problem with. Anyway. Okay, well, let's see now. The next thing we were going to talk about was uh, yes, there has been a running theme in the official forums where every once in a while the forums users seek to give Bioware marketing advice. (laughs) (laughs) The most recent one is, you know, what should they do when Cataclysm comes out? Should they compete or should they wait and blah, blah, blah. And that just made me think about just in general when they, when they like to you know, some people like to say Bioware is just doing it wrong and they should be giving us more information, otherwise they're going to lose customers, blah, blah, blah. But um, I know that, Roxanne, you went to that Unity conference and they actually talked about marketing a yep. little bit, didn't they? What did yep. what did they have to say? Um, I went and listened to a panel that was on how to market for social games, like the Zanga games that come out on Facebook, where, you know, um, marketing is a huge, huge part of that success. And it's funny because... I've always thought, <laughs> I've always read those forum posts about Bioware and thought that, like, oh, my God, these people, like, are such whiners. Like, you'll take what Bioware gives you and be happy with it because they don't owe you anything. <laughs> it's like, would you want, like, updates every week? That's ridiculous. And, I mean, I'm coming at it from, like, a totally foreign perspective because I've never, ever followed a game this closely so far away from launch because generally, and I think this is the way a lot of games are, is, you know, you get some stuff at E3 and then you're like oh okay well I generally know what to expect and then and then launch happens but um I think the way that games AAA games are being built right now or have been built maybe in the past couple of years mirror a lot the way films are made where there's like two years of development time and then there's launch weekend and that is it it's like sink or swim and there's not a real good idea of like if you're gonna be successful or not and um 
you know, with games, I think what the average cost of a game is like over $30 million. People think that Tor is a lot higher than that, <laughs> like plus $100 million plus. And you can't really take that risk. So you have to be getting people excited, like, you know, a year out from launch. And the way you do that, um, the people at this panel, they're talking about how, you know, updates on Twitter and Facebook are good, but they can't just be like, hey, our game's coming out. Or even like, look at this new trailer. It has to be, um, you know, substantial stuff. And what they figured out is that people actually really like just kind of like process things like this is what we're working on this is the game mechanic that we're doing and um so apparently like you know i was wrong to complain (laughs) and bioware is doing exactly what they should be and trying to keep people engaged oh another thing they said was that um community managers are really really important because the tone that you want to take with people is that you want your developers to sound like fans with access which is why, you know, we get so much of that, like, oh, this is going to be so epic and, you know, it's going to be this and that, not just real technical, like, well, this is what we did and, you know, we're the developers and we know best. <laughs> like, you guys should just kind of be on board. Um, again, another thing with the um, why community is actually important and plays such an important role is that someone asked the question, well, how do we, how do we make sure, how do you build a game mechanic that's going to be successful? And there's really, there's two ways to do it. One is that you only make things that had previously been successful, which is why when you have companies that are, you know, backed by big studios, that's why a lot of games look like WoW. A lot of games look like Halo. A lot of games look like Gears of War. Because when so much money is being invested, you can't really afford to take risks. So that's that's it. You, you copy formulas that are successful. Or two, um, fail fast. So if you <laughs> how you make something successful, you really you can't. So you're gonna if it's gonna fail, you want to make sure that like you know early on. So if you have a mechanic, you get a sample out to your community to get a pulse check early on. So you don't like put tons and tons of like cool cinematics and brand a million things with the word wizard, and then like you know launch comes and people are like, well we hate this. It's like well because I wish I wish we had asked people in the community you know like eight months ago and figured out that people like kind of don't like it. So oh right. So the way that's... you should build your game is you build it in front of your audience. You get early, you get things viable really quickly, you make sure that people like it, you fix what's broken, and then you know you don't have a huge surprise on launch day where people are like, well, we, we hate this and we would have told you if you had asked. Yeah, so it sounds like Bioware is doing all of those things, like with yeah. their game with the hands-on gameplay at yep. the various conferences. And, and I mean, I think it's really easy to underplay the importance of the community just because if you spend any amount of time on the official forums, you get kind of like I mean, I get really, you know, discouraged by, like, kind of this tone of entitlement and, you know, like, all these people are whiners and they, like, are so quick to be like, well, I will never play a Bioware game again. But, you know, I get that, like, most people aren't like that and the community is really, really important. If anyone listens to, um, uh, like, this really awesome web series called Extra Credits, they're on The Escapist, they talk about how, you know, like, building your game is really only half and your players build the other half. So it's the back and forth, it's the playability of your game that's going to help you design it. Like, no one can build a successful game on their own, launch it, and have players are just going to be, like, totally into it. They're going to figure out things that, like, you don't know. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and I don't know how many games do it to the extent that Bioware has. I mean, if you think about WoW, 
mean, I guess there's stuff on the forums, right? But but it isn't it isn't nearly as much as the the give and take. And in fact, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see Blizzard being as interactive and is is um, in touch with. Uh, our feelings <laughs> at this particular point in the, the the whole scheme of things, right? You know, in fact, I, like, don't get me wrong. You know, I think they they listen to a certain degree, but again, remember back at the whole board troll thing. I think that they're listening to the whiners yeah. and the complainers, you know, more so because they 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 lurk. They're on their yeah. Point, I don't know so. how you choose who to listen to. Yeah, and that is an interesting question. Um, mm. But yeah, but think of how like like the way Stefan Reed responds to people, or Damien Schubert responds to people in the forums, and then think of the way like Ghost Crawler responds to people in the WoW forums. He's like sometimes he just goes into smackdown mode, and you're like, yeah, these guys are jerks. But you never see that on the Tor forums by any of these developers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's a different approach. And I hope we don't. I you're listening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good job. Good job, you guys. Keeping it friendly. Exactly. I think we've got a great community. All right. But anyway, that leads us right into our quick mentions. Uh, Daniel Erickson confirms that there's credits will be the monetary unit used in a tour. They will have a link to that um, in our show notes. Um, he also hints at gear restrictions that are based on your light and dark points in his Machinima interview. It's at about the eight-minute mark. We'll also have that link in um, our show notes. And finally, um, the, Damien Schubert made a post on the 24th that talked about no world chat. He's in response to that particular thread. And he talks the, about how each planet will have their own chat channels, um, but there will be no global uh, channel that will cover across the whole game. Yeah, and that's okay. probably good. I mean, it's just be too cumbersome to have everyone playing at that moment able to talk. Exactly. More trolls. Just feeds the trolls. I'm glad he's. they're not feeding the trolls. <laughs> Sid. Strong am I with the Force. Or Jedi. Last time we found out that Kathy is a goody two-shoes who let her neighbor win at Leaf Blower Wars. We also found out that if you are Carla's neighbor, you'd better keep those freaking leaves on your side of the property line. So far, our scores stand at Carla, negative four, and Kathy, plus six, and Roxanne, plus one, but you only occasionally participate. (laughs) Remember, negative scores reflect a dark side tendency, while positive scores reflect a light side tendency. All right. Kathy and Roxanne, are you ready for the Sith or Jedi challenge? Yes. Yes. All right, this is the test of the Thanksgiving dinner. You are hosting a Thanksgiving dinner for a big crowd. The turkey comes out of the oven perfectly roasted. The skin is a deep, crisp-looking brown. You set the bird on the counter to settle before you start to carve. Just as you leave the kitchen to fetch the serving platters from the dining room, someone lets the dogs in. They crash into the kitchen, 
snatch the turkey off the counter and go tearing through the living room, fighting over the bird in a frenzy and growling and tail wagging as your guests look on in shock. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> One, yell at the dogs and send someone out to the grocery store for a pre-cooked turkey breast. Two, yell at the dog and start searching your refrigerator for those leftover lasagna you may have. Three, yell at the dogs. 15 minutes later, serve the quote-unquote other turkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kathy, which one would you do? Um, <laughs> oh, man, I wish that I had been... Like, smart enough to cook two turkeys because <laughs> yes, I want to do that one. <laughs> but, uh, yes, as opposed to pretending there was another turkey. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like the right, well, this, I would actually go Sith on this one. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't think I would call it the other turkey. I think I would just say I cut away the bad parts. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to be able to do the wow. carving at the table thing. But I would definitely be like, we are eating this turkey. <laughs> because okay. otherwise it's grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> there you go. All right. What about you, Roxanne? Um, I guess it might actually kind of depend on who I was serving Thanksgiving dinner to, because, I mean, like, I have friends who might be okay <laughs> with, <laughs> with the other turkey thing, it, it, especially if, I don't know how much, like, drinking has been going on, like, beforehand. That's right. Um, I, you couldn't do the lasagna thing, because that's just lazy and horrible. Um, I don't know. I think... I think I might have to go Sith too. <laughs> I like, okay. yeah. There's plenty of other food they can eat. That other. <laughs> We're not doing. I think the operative thing is lying to people, <laughs> which like we have refused to do. But like, well, yeah. you have both chosen the dark side. You have slaved for three days preparing this meal, and your guest will eat it and love it. Teeth marks notwithstanding. Exactly. <laughs> All right, how about you, Carla? What would you have done? Oh, my God. I would so totally be the opposite of you guys. <laughs> I would send someone off to the store so fast it would make your head spin. <laughs> Seriously. I would go and buy a pre-cooked turkey breast and because I still have all the stuffing. I still have all the other stuff. It would just be the meat. Oh, no, there's no cutting that off. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are reversed this week. You have chosen the light side. <laughs> Better to make the extra effort and get some kind of turkey for this once-a-year feast. And then, yes, I'm sure your guests would have uh, appreciated that choice also. <laughs> but I also serve a turkey and a ham normally. So it oh, wouldn't there you be go. without, you know, it wouldn't be without a good, good meat choice. So. <laughs> I think it depends, like, what kind of guests you have, like in-laws or something, and also what kind of dogs you have. <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's just a little gross. But anyway, <laughs> that uh, means that Carla's score is now a negative three, and Kathy's slips to a negative, negative. Uh, a positive po five. Right. And Roxanne, I think you're on the neutral side now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you can read all the past Sith or Jedi tests on our site at CorellianRun.com. Keep your score and see which way you lean. 
All right. That sound means it's time for our community buzz segment where we find out what the fans are talking about. Um, I came across a thread recently that has been on the forums since June of 2009, so for a while, but I thought it was interesting for those people who really like to, you know, get into the, the little fine details and what it is. It's, it's hints of unconfirmed playable planets, and someone has just made this big chart and kind of you know, anytime, like, like for instance, when before we knew that Corellia was a planet, someone saw that sheet music on the on the video, and it had and it had the Corellian theme. Um, so it's full of stuff like that. And as as planets have been added, they they will say confirmed. But you can go to this thread and look at all the little little things that have popped up that 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 could support um, the possibility of a planet being played. So I would recommend going into the forums. We're laughing. <laughs> my cat is trying to be part of the podcast. So anyway, so yes, go go to our show notes, and you can uh, take a look at that thread and see if there's anything on there about the planet you're hoping will be playable. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And um, for those that uh, did not know, um, Stephen Reed on uh, – November the 25th, just a few days ago, uh, made a post that says, did anyone else receive what appears to be a beta invite? What he was doing was clarifying for those skeptical people that received an email from Majid about a survey that BioWare has indeed partnered with a third-party agency called Majid and that it's part of their ongoing game testing program. And as part of that testing, a number of emails were sent to registered community members that have opted in for game testing. And one of the things you need to do is complete the survey. And if you're selected for testing, they'll let you know right away from an official email. So if you accidentally threw away a survey from Magid thinking it was bogus, you're wrong. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Find so it. don't throw that. Yeah, dig through your trash can. Hopefully you haven't emptied it. Um, search high and low. Check your junk filters because if there's an email there for a survey on Star Wars The Old Republic from Majid, grab it and answer it quickly. Yeah, because if they're gonna if they're gonna choose between someone who filled out the survey and someone who didn't fill out the survey when they're p- picking testing p- players. I feel like you're increasing your chances if you do the survey. And I didn't get one, Dad Gummit. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um, okay. Um, we kind of wanted to. Oh, last when we did the podcast with the Moss Isley guys, which was totally fun. Um, we we touched on the subject of community um, a little bit and how important it is. And then, like the next day, I was browsing the official forums and I saw this thread and it's called building it's about building a respectful community and I an old style I think it's old school community or something like that is the official thread and and it was just a wonderful um uh expression of how of how positive people can be and how you can have a community where you're not where you're not trying to outdo everybody else or you just it's really just about working together and having having positive interactions with the people the, the other players that are around you and i found it really heartwarming and um the there's a site 
the it's called Respect in Gaming, and um, and it's full of just some really thoughtful, smart people. And um, I would I would recommend if you if you kind of are looking for that that kind of a, a tone to the the group that the community that you want to play with that you should go check them out. We'll have a link to the show notes and um, uh, and I had some nice you know nice posts with people and they're they're very friendly and 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 very positive and i and i found it a very a refreshing environment i thought so. that was really cool but i did i couldn't get my registration to work so any of you listeners out there from respecting uh respecting gaming please check for crr underscore carla and fix my access help, <laughs> help. Anyway, that leads us to the next section. We've got a poll up in our forums, or really not a poll, but a thread going on uh, that you know you're an MMO gamer when, okay? Yeah, we had had great responses. I was going to say, I think it was just kind of boredom waiting for the the next update. And I was like, oh, let's just throw this up there and see what we get. And and we had some, one of some of our regular forums users just, just came up with some great, some great responses, um, and we went through those and we picked our top ten. So let's let's, let's and, do a yeah. little David. And Letterman I'm going to start with number ten. <laughs> number okay, ten is you are excited to get a robe that isn't real, but is. <laughs> number nine, you play the game in your dreams. <laughs> number eight, you miss the Super Bowl because it's a raid night. Number seven, you tell your friends the best way to reach you is on Ventrilo. Number six, you occasionally say TY and NP to your roommates. Number five, you are working with spreadsheets in your free time. Number four, you totally would have forgotten it's Mother's Day if it weren't for the guild message of the day. Number three, you use the word trolls to describe the Westboro Baptist Church. Number two, you set your alarm clocks in real life for events in-game. And the number one reason you know you're an MMO gamer submitted by Xavier is your MMO resume for guild applications is longer than your real-life resume for jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I had to laugh at that one. That was so cool, Xavier. Thank you. Thank you to Xavier, P. Martin, 1969, Cryos, Heretic Zero, Arafael, Kai Sun, Ray, Crone Body for their contributions to our top 10 list. We had lots of fun reading these, and there are a lot more entries that we didn't have time to read, and they're listed in our forums. There will be a link in the show notes, so be sure and stop by and check it out and add some of your own. Okay, well, that brings us to uh, thanking our sponsors. We have a sponsor, Guild Launch. It's the place to go for fully featured Guild websites and web hosting, and they have lots of cool features. Please check them out at guildlaunch.com. You can also contact us through our website at corellianrun.com. We have forums, or you can click on the upper right button of the page where you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to leave a voice message, you can go to our Google Voice button on our site, or you can call 281-766-4511. Leave us a message, and we will play it on our podcast. Um, Speaking of podcasts, you can subscribe to us on both iTunes and Zoom. I think that's it. That's about it. And please leave us some positive feedback on iTunes. We want to get our ranking up there. Mm -hmm, Definitely. 
Well, that's a wrap for us at Corellian Run Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Until next time, I'm Kathy. And I'm Carla. And I'm Roxanne. May the Force be with you. And we hope your Thanksgiving dinner was mishap-free. You have been listening to Corellian Run Radio, a Star Wars The Old Republic podcast. Tune in next time to hear Carla say... Oh, first, Daniel Erickson says, I can't role-play a non-humanoid species. Now, he says, I can't make out with my helm on. Stop messing with my role-playing rights, you freedom-hating varmint. And transition.